This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Our Father, what a sight that will be. Long lost loved ones returned. We're told babies fly, making their fly out of their dusty graves, looking for their mothers. Saints and grandmothers and grandfathers who died with that glimmer in their eye, telling their grandchildren and children they'll see them again. Our own personal angel to greet us, telling us every turn and twist we took in life. And then to meet Jesus. Give us an appreciation for your word. Send us your Holy Spirit today that we might be prepared for that day. We thank you so much that you have promised us thy spirit. We claim that promise for we ask in the name of Jesus Christ to instruct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on in. Lecture outline number six. Really quick review. I like review. Lecture number one, we talk about an overview, how Daniel did outreach and how Daniel did inreach. Who was here for all five? Who have been here for all five so, thus far? Hopefully it's a good mix, excellent, excellent. So we're going to have a, a good mix. So the very first one, we talk about Daniel's outreach and Daniel's inreach. We talk about the first four chapters of Daniel being his outreach. Daniel chapter one, Daniel met people at their needs. He presented the Nebuchadnezzar and his hosts the health message. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel showed how sure prophecy was, or God did through Daniel. In other words, we confirm people in the word of God. Daniel chapter 3. The three worthies brought these Nebuchadnezzar to a point of decision, a testing truth. He didn't like the truth that his kingdom was going to end. A testing truth. And four, Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar truly realized that Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. So in Daniel's process of outreach, it was meet people at their needs. It was confirming them, confirming them in the word of God through prophecy, which by the way, Daniel two is a great way to do it. Daniel three is bringing people to a point of decision. And Daniel chapter four is making sure they know you love them. We covered outreach. We covered inreach in the first lecture, right? We talked about Daniel had many others of his sort who may have bowed the knees or pretended to, who may have tried to pray behind a closed curtain like this. And Daniel could have looked at them sneering down at them like these sinners. But we know Daniel was not that type. In fact, Daniel 9.5 says to the Lord, Lord, we have sinned. He was weeping. He was praying between the porch and the altar where these sinners were praying and we. I mean, these sinners are worshiping in the opposite direction to another god in the porch and the altar. He was praying and sighing and crying for his co-worshippers instead of pointing fingers. Daniel chapter 1. I mean, Daniel overview. Now, we covered the second lecture, clear, concise evidence of the investigated judgment, of non-ambiguous evidence that we stand on firm foundation. Remember that lecture, those who came? We covered all, every single line of Bible prophecy actually supports in unambiguous language the investigative judgment. And so we talked about in the investigative judgment really quickly. It's much of Earth's history. We proved that. We talked about how the little horn came and oppressed. Then we talked about the judgment and then the end of the world. Okay, that's pretty much the, our doctrine of the investigative judgment. Most of Earth's history, the little horn, then the judgment, and then the end of the world. And we did that over seven lines of prophecy, pointing to every single line of them pointing to the judgment. So that it's not standing alone, but it has seven lines of prophecy supporting it. It's like an unbreakable chain. And we ended Daniel 7 with a little piece of furniture, after we talked about investigative judgment. We ended Daniel 7 with a little piece of furniture of this, what on, Dan, what on God's throne? Wheels. And it rolled us right into Daniel chapter 8. The Day of Atonement and the cleansing of the sanctuary. And we talk about the Day of Atonement and cleansing of the sanctuary when this angel asks, how long shall be this overturning, 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 desolation, desolation? And the answer came at a time and at a place when this would all stop. The destruction of Jerusalem would stop or the Jews spiritually would stop. And what time did this prophecy bring us to in the Jewish calendar? 
Day of Atonement. And what place did this prophecy bring us to? Most holy place. The time was a day of atonement. Jesus was cleansing our sins, and he was um, giving us white robes. And he was cleansing the sanctuary. On this day, what were the people doing? They were worshiping. They were resting. Remember we talked about they were, they were afflicting themselves. And if we studied Isaiah 58, that means selfless sacrifice. And they were surrendered to God or giving offering, which in Romans 12 says is a surrender of yourself. So four things that the people were expected to do while the high priest was ministering, they were worshiping, they were surrendered, they were in selfless service, and they were resting. That was the time that was brought to our attention when the question was asked. The place was brought to the most holy place, and the most distinctive piece of furniture in the most holy place was the Ark of Covenant. And in the Ark of Covenant, Covenant commit, contained the Ten Commandments, God's broken law. So the place had God's broken law. So when would this destruction end? When God's people would finally worship, when they would surrender, when they were involved in selfless service, when they were resting, and they would, when they would put back in place, in the proper place, God's broken Ten Commandments. And that's when the end would begin. Daniel chapter 8 we talked about. And so we talked yesterday about when the end would end, meaning that the beginning of his destruction would come when God's people would do this, when would the end come? We called that the great controversy, which we talked about yesterday. We talked about Daniel chapter 11 yesterday, when God's forces, Jesus' forces, and Satan's forces finally met face to face in, in Daniel 11.45 and Daniel 12.1. And the great controversy ended when a group of people before the face of the universe were transformed from the kingdom of the supplanter to the kingdom of the overcomer. Jacob's time of trouble, his name was supplanter. His name became overcomer. And if a lot of that doesn't make sense, it's all on the audio, okay? But that's the overview for those who had been coming to all the lectures. Today, you finally get to relax. We covered a, listen, we covered a lot, this five lectures. We covered, you don't recognize how much you really covered, so congratulations to those that made it through. But they're all online. For those of you who walked in late, tinyurl.com, Daniel forward slash Daniel Talks. Those are where all the lectures are. You want to have the study outline when you listen to a lecture to follow it, and you'll get all that we just talked about right now. If you think, what in the world is he talking about? You'll be able to get it. You finally get to cover something that you understand, huh? I can relax, Sabbath afternoon, I had a big meal. My kids are here, they'll enjoy something, Daniel too. Maybe, I can, maybe they'll finally be able to listen about Daniel too in an entertaining way. So, turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Finally a chapter that we all understand. I mean, yes, a, a prophecy we all understand. Phil, can I get a chair like right here to put my notes on so I don't have to hide behind this thing? Daniel chapter 2. So, thank you. So Daniel 2, outside of the story, is basically a vision and an interpretation. The vision is from Daniel to 31 to 35, I believe, and the interpretation is from 36 to 45. Do you see them? You see a vision, and you see it interpreted. Okay? So basically, it just repeats itself. It, it says what the king saw, and, it's, and it says what the, it interprets what the king saw. Basically, that's all it does, okay? A vision and an interpretation. Now, look just at the vision, just for review, since we all know Daniel too. Look just at the vision, 31 to 35, okay? Real quick review, since we all know this. How many images were there? I'll say it all together if you know it, otherwise we're going to have to review Daniel 2, and you don't want to do that. One. How many stones were there? One. How many mountains were there? Okay, very good. You got this. So look at the interpretation now. How many images were there? Good. You guys have this. How many stones were there? Good. And how many mountains were there? I'm sorry for boring you. How many mountains were there? Good. Now let's put the vision and interpretation together since they're talking about the same thing. How many images were there? In coming, putting them together, how many images were there? One. Good, because vision interpretation. How many stones were there? How many mountains were there? Wrong. Did you say one? Look again. There are two mountains in Daniel chapter 2. Are you sure you know Daniel 2? Are you sure you know Daniel 2? There are two mountains in Daniel 2. 
Now, I tricked you a little bit by doing this, didn't I? <laughs> I did. That was dirty, wasn't it? <laughs> I have never seen anyone get that question right. And people know the answer, but I sort of tricked you. Do not mistake. Do not mistake familiarity with knowledge. Familiarity of a prophecy will do you no good in the end time. Knowledge will save your soul through faith. Knowledge will save other people's souls through faith. Familiarity will do nothing for us. I have not seen one person get that question right. I'm sorry, I played kind of a psychologic trick on you. And if you'll excuse me, I wanted to show a point. We all need to know Daniel better. I will get tired of talking about Daniel 2 when I get tired of talking about the second coming. I will. What is it about this chapter? The take-home word for Daniel chapter 2 today, and now it is a pretty simple talk, is certainty. You don't understand the power of Daniel 2. I mean, I shouldn't say that, that's judgmental, but we don't grasp the power of Daniel 2. There's a there's a power about its simplicity. No one ever argues about Daniel chapter 2 to us in other churches. They want to jump to Daniel chapter 7 and talk about the little horn and talk about this investigative judgment. They want to talk about chapter 8 and talk about where this little horn came from, the seven horns, this day of atonement, the 2300 days, evenings and mornings. They want to talk about chapter 9 and this co covenant and in the midst of the week, breaking the covenant. No one ever argues, come on in, no one ever argues about Daniel chapter 2 because there is a clarity about it. You need to understand this, you got to understand, this clarity is powerful. It gives a certainty about certain things. When I say certainty, God will never give you information in prophecy that makes it beyond doubt. He will always leave a little bit of doubt for people who want to doubt. He gives enough certainty to hang your faith surely on that you can bet your life on it, though, if you, by faith. You need to understand how powerful Daniel chapter 2 is because it gives us the certainty of his death, the certainty of his resurrection, and the certainty of his second coming. As certainly as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome came and went is the certainty that Jesus will come again. Clearly, clearly as history said that Babylon came and, gone, went, came and went, clearly as Medo-Persia came and went, clearly as Greece and Rome came and went, Jesus will come again. That's certainty. That is of a... God takes a historical certainty to give you a certain hope in, of the future. You need to realize how powerful Daniel chapter 2 is. And forgive me for keep on saying you need to. We need to realize the power of this prophecy. I put it last to see who would come. Now, listen, there's a wonderful talks out there. And maybe this is the only class that didn't fill out, so that's why you're here today. There's some wonderful talks out there. I want to put it last. <clears throat> I want people, wanted people to come, kind of, hmm, let me learn a little more of Daniel 2. It's hard to learn anything about something that you know all about. You know what I mean? So I put it last. Not to say, I don't know your circumstances or what, I don't want to judge. I just want to say, though, it is hard to learn anything about something that they know all about. I've never seen one person change their opinion about tithe. I've never seen one person change their opinion about women's ordination. I don't want to get into that today. You know, it's hard to change your minds. So maybe you want to learn something about Daniel too. I certainly do. Now this is interesting about the certainty. These wise men, they came down to Nebuchadnezzar and said, we don't understand this, Lord. I mean, we don't understand this. Just tell us the vision, interpretation, and maybe we can... Are we at Daniel 2 still? Okay. Maybe we can kind of figure things out. I think it's verse 11. Turn with me, Daniel 2. Verse 11. Yes. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, didn't give him a response. He said, we can't do it. The gods need to help us, and they won't help us. This chapter gives certainty about two things. One is that the second coming is certain, which I discussed. Two, if you read in verse, and I want to say 20 and 21, 
it's certain that God is the one that what? If you read 2021, God is the one that changes times and and he removes kings and puts it on kings and he has all wisdom and knowledge. So God has power and understanding, okay? So there's two certainties brought up in Daniel chapter 2. One is that Jesus is coming back and two is that God has all wisdom and understanding, or, or wisdom and might, I should say. Those are certainties that we can count on when we're unsure where we're headed, where God's sending us in life. Us in life. But you didn't come for, for a sermon, you came for a Bible study. We're going to hit a Bible study today about the certainty of Jesus coming back and the certainty of that God has wisdom and power. This is going to be a Bible study, not a sermon today, okay? Now, outside of prophecy, are there other books in the Bible that give us certainty that God has wisdom and power? Are there passages in the Bible that gives us certainty? There's many, but I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage that is going to give us certainty that God has power, okay? And I'm going to take a little diversion, and it's going to bring you back to Daniel 2 in just a minute. I'll use this passage as an illustration that God, there's a certainty about God, and God having all power, that we can trust him, that God has all wisdom. John chapter 1. Are most of you familiar with John chapter 1? How it starts? In the beginning was the... Now let me start off with something, the same thing about God. I love the way God teaches us. He describes himself in ways that everybody can understand, but no one can fully describe. For instance, love. God is love. My, my little boy, he's 19 months old. His name is Trey Angelo, a third angel. And already he's starting to say, I love you, you know? And I think he just means he wants some food. <laughs> but that's love to him, right? I mean, we laugh at him, but angels probably laugh at us thinking what we think of love, right? So he understands. So God always describes himself wonderfully so that everybody can understand, but we'll spend a lifetime chewing on it. What does this mean, love? Has anyone figured out love yet? <laughs> It's getting more confusing as you get older, isn't it? It takes a life to understand, but everyone can understand him, so to speak, love. And that's the way God works, seems like. It's not like, oh, I got it. I have an intellectual understanding of love. It's something we'll study forever. We have to chew on it. What does this mean? God does that all the time, light. God is light. My, my little son, all of a sudden he realized the light, where the light switch was, you know? He'll go up to it. He knows light. 19 months old, he flips it up. <laughs> And I'm sitting there trying to study, and here in the background, <laughs> okay, Trey, come on. Come on, Trey. And he keeps on, the light switch, you know? He understands light. But forgive me if there's any physicists in this room, but we still don't know if light is a wavelength or a particle, right? Einstein didn't know if light was a wavelength or a particle, but he thought it was. So God describes, everyone knows light. My son knows light. But what is light? And we can think about that, for, that, about that forever. That's what God does when he describes himself. That those key, two, two key things. Everyone understands it, but no one grasps it completely, so we have to chew on it. So look at this story. In the beginning was the word. Beginning of me? Beginning of you? Beginning of who? Time. And who was at the beginning of time? God. At the beginning of God, ooh, I can't even, hardly even say that. Beginning of God. Who here can understand the beginning of God? I don't even, hardly want to say that phrase. In the beginning, how can a mortal mind who, will, who was born and will die understand the beginning? Was the word. Now, if you close your eyes, you don't have to. And I said, imagine a word. Either a word is going to pop in your mind. And I had you all write down what you thought of. You, some of you write Jesus or write down literally the word. We get a different response every single person. If I said in the beginning was a chair, in the beginning was a nail, you'd all get an image of something. But what comes to your mind in, in the beginning of the, was the word? What a strange way to describe himself. Word? Listen, I don't even know what people, kids are saying when they say word up. You know, I don't understand word. You know, it just doesn't bring anything in my mind. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God, with God, and the word was God. What in the world does that mean? Hi, good morning. I'm Joe Kim, and I had breakfast with Joe Kim today. 
What does that mean? You probably think, man, that guy didn't take his medications today. What does this mean? God, he was God and he was with God? And he repeats it again in verse 2, the same basic thing. And don't tell me you understand this. And all things were, what does it say? Now, those of you who have gone on to physics, all things were made by him. You know that matter cannot be created or This text starting to get harder and harder, huh? And in him was life. Would someone like to begin a topic, I mean, a lecture today talking about the meaning of life for us? In him was life, and that light was the that life was the light of men. We just talked about light, didn't we? And I didn't put a sticky on here for some reason. Phil, can you put a sticky on this and this for me? Let me just do that. Oh, here we go. Put a sticky on seven for me, okay? What happened? So, so light, not sure what light is, okay? And so we understand a little bit about giving, so I'll put this here. And he gave it, it says. He gave that light, it says. In verse, turn it, and then it says, he became one of them, right? Now, the incarnation. What does Ellen White say about trying to understand the incarnation? It says, don't think too much about it. <laughs> You're going to hurt your brains, it said, she basically said. Accept it, God became man, but don't think too much about it. You're really going to hurt your brain. And so what he tried to do, he tried to show God, it said. And it said that they comprehended him not, Right? They didn't understand him. Okay. And then lastly, we're told that they rejected and killed him. All right. So a lot of this we don't understand. I just gave you a passage with word after word after word that I have no idea what it's talking about. Beginning word with God created, had life, light, incarnation. What does it mean? The key is in verse 12. Everyone turn the Bibles to verse 12. I want to show you something here. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? Sons of God. Even to them that what? Believe on his name. Now in this passage, when are we going to get to Daniel 2, huh? In this passage... John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. I skipped a few verses, but you see the content. You see, his name have, you see him have two names. Word, do you see his name? Word and, well, yeah, God, but an actual appellation or name, like light. That's what, when, you, when you look for a noun and see what happens, or subject, when you see what happens to that subject, word and light. Let me give you a little tip about the Bible. Whatever name Jesus takes, you can kind of follow that name and learn something about Jesus. When he's Michael, he's a warrior, you know? Sort of like when he's son of man, you see him as a defender of mankind, as the representative and the priest, you know? So let's just take, we don't know anything about this passage, but let's just take this name and let's see what happens to that name. Because the Bible says this, if we believe on the name of Jesus, that means we receive him. If we receive Jesus, what happens? We, become, we have what? In that verse, we have power to what? Become sons of God. Listen again. If you believe on Jesus' name, then you'll receive him. If you receive him, you have power to become sons of God. Well, I've heard phrases like that all my life. What in the world does this mean? If you leave this room at the end of this lecture, I want you at least to have left this room being able to explain to a five-year-old what it means to believe in the name of Jesus. Clearly, okay? So his name, I don't understand all this, but let's just go through to see what happens to this name or what this name does. Somebody existed a long time ago. He was with God. He made everything. He had light, and he wanted to give it life to, light to people. So he became one of them. He showed them God. They didn't understand him, so they killed him. If you believe that, God gives you power to be sons 
and daughters of God. Now I said, it's not intellectual, because we can't ever grasp this whole thing. Fortunately, we're not going to go to heaven based on my, our intellect, because it'll take forever to grasp this. But why God made it so deep is because we're thinking about, what does this mean, what does this mean, what does this mean, what does this mean, think about all day, and when you think about all day, that's what the Bible calls receiving him. That's why God made terms so deep, so we think about it. What does this mean, what does this mean? That's good, because you think about it. When you think, that's exactly the same as receiving it. This is what it means to believe on the name of Jesus. When my son becomes three or four years old, I guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee you, my son will learn how to believe on Jesus. I'm going to say, son, there was a man who lived from the beginning. He was with God. He created everything and had life. He gave it for us, so he became one of us. He showed us God, but we didn't understand him, and some people killed him. And my son will believe on the name of Jesus, I hope by faith. Do you see that? Is that simple? Is that certain? Is that boring? That's, Daniel, that's like Daniel chapter 2. The certainty about it. What? You just, the cert, do you see the certainty? There's no guessing. Where, do I believe in Jesus or not? You believe on Jesus if you see this board. Let it sink in your heart. Let it think, through, think throughout the day about it. That's believing and receiving him. He's making you the sons and daughters of God as you start to think it through in your mind when you take that thoughtful hour each day you become sons and daughters of God. Turn to your Bible to, what does this have to do with prophecy? John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Verse 29. I love this verse. John chapter 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it come to pass, prophecy, that when it comes to pass, you might, what? Believe. Just in case you have a hard time believing this story, I'll tell you a little prophecy about Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And after you're done studying about this prophecy, you're going to say, it happened. See what I'm saying? Jesus gave prophecy so we can believe on his name. Jesus gave the simplest and most certain prophecy, so we have a certainty on his name, that even children can believe on the name of Jesus. Even children can understand this, can't they? So when you study prophecy, isn't it exciting to understand Jesus is making you more and more a son and daughter of God? Turn your Bibles, Daniel chapter 2 then. Let's study it. Daniel chapter 2. I, I still apologize, but I, I, I'll probably stop using that gimmick later on, but it's so funny when I do it, so I, I'll stop doing that thing about the mountains and stuff. But it actually brings out a point, okay? We are going to talk about mountains today, actually. Daniel chapter 2, verse 11 again. This is the reason why man can, the, the Chaldeans had a problem, the wise men. It is a rare thing that the king requires. There is none other than, and there is none other that can show it before the king, except the who? Gods, whose what? Dwelling is not with flesh. Basically, they were saying two things. Man cannot do it. Only God can do it, and God's not helping us. That's basically what they're saying, right? This is what God's response was. Turn your Bibles, same chapter, to verse 27. Now, before I get to this response, verse 27. God gives him the answer. But not only does God about to give Nebuchadnezzar the answer to his dream, he also told him the vision, but not only did he tell him the vision, God even told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel the thoughts that were in Nebuchadnezzar's mind the night before his vision. Nebuchadnezzar didn't even ask for that. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar had certainty about this interpretation then? God goes the extra mile to create that certainty in these people's minds. He, have you ever read like some novel, I don't know, before you went to bed or anything, read some literature and you went off to sleep and you dreamt about it? Nebuchadnezzar had thoughts in his mind, he dreamt about it, it says, God even told him his thoughts in his mind to give certainty that Babylon's going to go down someday. Nebuchadnezzar was certain until chapter 3. But anyway, verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, and so forth and so on, show unto the king. Verse 30. 
But as for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have. So number one, Daniel reconfirms what the wise men said. What? That man, man can do it? Man cannot do it, number one. But number two, what did, this, what did it say? Verse 19, and then 20 and 28. Then the secret was revealed unto Daniel in night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, 28. Let's just jump to 20. I said, I read wrong. Yeah, 20. And Daniel answered, said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealed a secret. So Daniel pretty much repeats what the wise men said. Man cannot do it. God, only God, they need God's help. But what was the wise men's problem? God doesn't dwell with man. Hmm. Turn the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 10. 1 uh, Peter chapter 1, you know there's not a 10. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 10 and 11. That was the problem. Man can't do it. They need God's help, but their gods weren't going to help them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or manner of time the Spirit of Christ, the who? The Spirit of Christ, which was what? In them. These prophets prophesied because who was in them? What were the wise men's excuse that God did not dwell in their flesh? But these prophets had who? By definition. Keep this. I lost my little Sela card. I was holding up a Sela card. Every time I lift it up, I wanted the students to pay special attention. Pay special attention, though. I'd lost the card. Prophecy is prima facie evidence that God dwells amongst us. Prophecy is prima facie evidence that God dwells with man. First Peter says the prophets prophesied through the Spirit of God that was in them. So lesson number one from Daniel. God dwells with us. We're going to do three simple lessons that will be done. You guys went through the hard part. Might as well get a simple one today, huh? Now this whole issue about the mountains. Did anyone really know that there are two mountains, by the way? Look in your Bibles. Verses 45 and 34. It's okay, we're brothers and sisters. If I, if I find out you don't know, you don't even know me anyway. <laughs> but when you're face-to-face -face in a Bible study, and someone says, what about that second mountain? I hope your face doesn't turn red anymore. You say, oh, let me tell you about that one. So turn with me to 45. i got to turn myself, don't I? Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. It says, for as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out of the mountain. So what is going on here? There was a mountain, and there was a stone that was cut out, what? From it, okay? Let's back up to 34. It says this. Thou sawest to the stone that was cut, what? Without hands, so where did it come from? From the other, it came from the mountain, right? Smote the image upon his feet, which that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Verse thirty-five. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold that broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a what? Huh. Do you see the two mountains now? There was a mountain. A stone was cut from the mountain, and then it smashed this image together, and then it became a mountain. Do you all see that? Did I make it up? Two mountains, right? One mountain, where the stone was cut off from without hand, it came and smashed the image, and it became a second mountain. Now, this whole issue about this second mountain here, it says in verse 44, back to 44, what does this represent? 
And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So what does this mountain represent? It represents God's eternal kingdom, the second mountain, okay? So you all should know this verse. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, verse 31, 27. If I had that card again, I'd lift it up again, Selah, right here, this verse, you ought to know this verse. Because otherwise, you're kind of assuming that the stone hitting this image is second coming, actually. There's nowhere in this chapter it says second coming, by the way, okay? Luke chapter 21, verse 31. So if you highlight your Bible or underline or cross-reference, this might be a good one to know. Luke chapter 21, verse 31. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Are we talking about the same kingdom? Might be. Verse 27. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What is this describing? These are the verses that tell us that the, king, the coming of the kingdom of God is the second coming. So if you have a little pen, you write in Daniel 2, this verse 44, this little ink, in the corner, you say Luke 21, 31, 27. That is why we think that the stone hitting this image is the second coming. So, lesson number two is a simple one. It is stone hitting, I don't give myself enough room, the image is the second coming, okay? Do you see that? That's the one most of us know or are familiar with. Lesson number two, it should be simple, but there should be nice, simple things too, okay? So lesson number one, what? God dwells with us. I'm actually going to put lesson number two as number three, and you'll see why in a minute, okay? I'm going to put it down here. Second coming equals stone. Okay, lesson number, you'll see why I put this down here as the third, even though it's the second we're talking about. Now this first, this whole business about this first mountain, we're going to talk about the rest of the talk today. Turn with me in Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. You like stories? Turn with me in Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. I'll tell you a story. I think you'll like this story. Revelation chapter 12. Now, long time ago, maybe a little bit after the beginning, there was a war in heaven. And in this war, Michael and his angels fought against Satan and his angels, the dragon and his angels, who was called the devil, or Satan. Satan lost this war and was kicked out of heaven. And if you look in verse, let me see here, 10, oh, excuse me, verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, out of where? heaven, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That word cast out is balo. It says it three times. He was balo. He was balo. He was balo. He was cast out of heaven. But you know, apparently in Job, this was after he was cast out, it seems as though when I read Job that he was able to talk to people in heaven, wasn't it? Right? Do you remember when the sons of God met with God and then all of a sudden, what, 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 Satan's talking? It seems like the Bible suggests that even if he was cast out of heaven, that he could still talk to the angels of God. That didn't fall, seems like. Hmm. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the what? That's that word again. And the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren. Who's our accuser of our brethren? Satan is, what's the word? Cast down. That word is katabalo. Apparently Satan was knocked out and he was knocked down again. This verse seems to tell us that at a certain time, apparently when Christ's kingdom came, that, Jesus, uh, that Satan would be cast down again. Apparently, he couldn't go back to heaven, even talk to the angels anymore. Hmm. When did this happen? You would think it means kingdom of the God, because that sounds like second coming, but I'm, that doesn't make sense to what I know. So let's turn our Bibles. Let's turn our Bibles 
to John chapter 12. That word cast down is katabalo that we just read. It's similar to balo, same root word. John chapter 12. Verse 31. Now is the judgment. Oh, I'll wait till everyone sees this. Not in that much of a rush. Finds it. John chapter 12, verse 31. Chapter 12, verse 31. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That word is ekbalo. Same word. Hmm. 32. And I. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw what? Satan, your accusations are going to be proven false by my cross. Did you know that there was a kingdom of God that was established by the cross? What? We call that the kingdom of grace. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us approach the throne of mercy that we might receive Grace in the time of need. Remember that? Or help in the time of need. Excuse me for quoting incorrectly. Now that stone was cut out of that kingdom with what? Without hand. That word without hand always means God's own doing. Do you ever recall a verse in the Bible about him being wounded for our transgressions? He was bruised for our iniquities. What's that talking about? His suffering and his death. But do you remember in that same chapter where it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him? He was smitten and stricken of God. It was God who offered his son for our salvation. Our salvation. Without that, with that phrase without hand in Daniel 2 is the cross of Jesus. The kingdom of God was established at the cross of Jesus. That was the first kingdom. He wants to put that kingdom in your hearts. And that's why he said, the kingdom of God is within you. So this, this step is this. This third lesson is a simple one. Stone cut out equals... Well, you're confusing me, Joe. What are you talking about here? It wasn't the kingdom of God a second coming? Now is the cross of Jesus? Let me tell you something. Who was that first king of Babylon? That we were Nebuchadnezzar. Was he really the first king of Babylon, though? No, Nebuchadnezzar was his dad. He was a great king, too. Babylon was in existence. It was established well before. It became the preeminent kingdom in 605. Medo-Persia was a kingdom. In fact, it helped wars with Babylon at the time. It helped in wars with Babylon, more so the Medes. Up until 539, when it became the preeminent kingdom. It was set up and then it became the preeminent kingdom. Greece. It didn't just pop up with Alexander the Great. You've all heard of Thermopylae. You've all heard that phrase marathon. The Greeks and Persians always had wars. It, Greece was on the rise all the time. But it became the preeminent kingdom 331, Battle of Arbella, Alexander the Great. So it was a rising and preeminence. The Roman Empire. They were called little people or bands of robbers. Until 168, the Second Macedonian War, and if you hate history, excuse me, they, after that 168, they, they got in a war, the Macedonians, they couldn't govern themselves anymore. The Romans told them who was ruling and how you ruled. So Rome was the preeminent power. It rose. 508, the papacy, it got an army from Clovis. It was not, and that's when it became a nation, so to speak. 538, though, the final kingdom was, the Aryan kingdom was destroyed. It became the preeminent power. At the cross, this little tiny mustard seed was planted. And the Bible promises us it will be the preeminent power forever and ever. I praise God for that, that the prophecy ends there. Now, that's a lot of theory. What are you supposed to do about this? How can we do this? I mean, how do we, I don't have swords and spears, how do I expand God's kingdom? It's okay. Jesus told us how anyway. 
just told us a lot of things about that answers life's questions that we didn't realize. And he answered it, he answered it to, for us in a very simple verse. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is, is in heaven. How do you suppose God is making this earth with his kingdom the preeminent power? By what? By having his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what the Bible calls it when we do God's will? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. I think some of you know this verse already. I, go ahead and find it. We're not in a rush. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is written within, excuse me, within my heart. How is God going to make his kingdom the preeminent kingdom for eternity by writing his law in your heart. And then shall the great controversy be ended. When God has a group of people who's had the law of God written on their heart, tried and true, and exhibited before the universe, then shall the end come. Let's close with Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Isn't Daniel too simple? Not so simple, but it's wonderful. Matthew 21. Jesus saith unto them, Matthew 21, verse 42, excuse me. 42. Matthew 20 and 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read the scriptures? The, what? Oh, that word again. The stone which the builders rejected, the same is come the head of the corner. This is the what? Oh, this sounds like we just read it somewhere. This is the Lord's doing. Is it marvelous in our eyes? Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God should be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. Verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Does that sound kind of similar to chaff in the summer threshing floor? Does that sound kind of similar language? We'll grind him to powder? But I want to talk about the beginning, about the people who don't get crushed, but the other group. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. I grew up in California. We wanted to upgrade, so we moved to Mississippi. <laughs> he laughed. Now, I have a darling wife back there moving to Mississippi for my medical practice. <laughs> um, we have a lot of cliffs over beaches there. Yeah, we had to leave those cliffs over beaches. I get this imagery of falling on a stone. Not like you just chippy, oops, uh, falling off a cliff. I think of falling off a stone, like someone coming to the edge of a cliff, onto a stone, take, looking over and onto the rocks in the bottom where the water is, going, whew, stepping up. And I get this imagery of just surrender. Surrender. The kingdom of God is within you. I said the very first talk, this great controversy will be ended on our knees in surrender. Jacob, in the night of wrestling, he won after his thigh was essentially broken, right? And he had to surrender this fight physically. And he overcame God. Surrender. What keeps you from serving the Lord? Surrender. When a sanctified group of people continued in that experience through faith in Jesus Christ, 
surrendered. They may have fallen, but they've gotten up. They're surrendered. They're surrendered. They're surrendered. Then shall the end come. Let us look at the lessons we learned today, then. I like review. Lesson number one. He dwells with us. He died for us. He's coming again. Does that sound familiar in John? I said, well, where is coming again? I didn't see that in John. This story picks up. We won't take time to look it up now. This story picks up in Revelation 19. Read it later in verse 13. It talks about a certain man called the Word. It says the Word, Word of God. And it says he's coming back in the second coming. It finishes the story that John 1 began. The Revelator, the same author, wrote about his second coming. Read it. It's a certainty. Let us pray. Revelation 19, verse 13. The Word is coming back. It kind of leaves the story unwritten in John 1, and it finishes off the story. Remember I said follow a story? Just look at his word and follow it. I mean, look at his name and follow it, and you get a story each time. Finish the story where it says word, and see what word is doing. It's coming back to take us home. It finishes the story. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I think we're brave enough. I think we're strong enough. I think we're wise enough and rich enough. But I don't think we're surrendered enough. Lord, we have not prayed like we should have. Lord, we have not let go of those idols like we should have. Father, by the power of, the, of your Son, free us from these things that beset us. Each one of us in this room has one or two. We all do. We're all ashamed. We're all weak as water. But we believe. Help thou our unbelief. We'll see you someday. And that day when we see you, we'd like that story to be told to us from your own lips. Father, meet us there with each one here today. We ask in the precious, precious name of Jesus. God bless you. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.